This is the Sports in the Making podcast. I'm your host, Don Cardona, and this is episode number 25. In this episode, I have Dave Finucci, author of Miracle on Grass, a book about how the USA baseball team won gold at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games under the leadership of legendary manager Tommy Lasorda. And my other guest is Ted Collins, a producer working in the movie industry and partners with Dave Finucci on a project we hope to see soon. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome you all back to my Sports in the Making podcast. I took a couple of years off to kind of gather things during the pandemic and work on another uh, couple of projects, but I'm back again and I'm now with a couple of people who one is very familiar with me and the other I'm just getting to know right now. Dave Finucci. Dave and I started back in the 90s working for a minor league baseball team, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And Ted is actually a producer in Hollywood, so we'll delve into both of their careers but thank you gentlemen for both joining me today thank you for having us dave i want to start with you because we do go way back but before we get into our history i want to talk to you about how you got into sports first of all and where it's kind of taken you over the years what sparked your love of sports yeah certainly don i grew up in the northern california bay area in uh in the san francisco uh, bay uh, near a little ta- town called Cupertino, which people may have heard of, near San Jose. Went to college at Chico State. It's a Northern California uh, State University. Went up there to be a, 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 I wanted to become a sports writer originally, Don. That was my goal. Um, try to study journalism, be a sports writer, huge baseball and football fan. And uh, that was just really what my interest was. Um, ended up getting out of there in, in uh, 1993, graduated with a degree in journalism. And my parents at that time uh, relocated to Scottsdale, Arizona. I, hadn't, I did not have a, a full-time job in the Bay Area yet right after graduating. So I decided to head out there with them. And that's where I met you. Uh, I got my first, first ever job in, in real life uh, coming out of college, working for the AAA Phoenix Firebirds, which was a, a AAA baseball team for the San Francisco Giants back then in the Pacific Coast League. And uh, I was I, I got a job as a media relations assistant, so I was excited as can be in the 1994 season. Um, that got my start in, in sports and in, in my career. It was a little different, right? Because I was I was actually intending to be a, a reporter, but in that job I was actually serving the, the media. I was I was helping the media in the press box with uh, you know and doing media relations and PR work for a AAA baseball team, kind of like keeping statistics and the score of the game and, and, and calling the media that night and the, the television stations in Phoenix with the final score and things like that. So that's kind of how I got started in the business. Um, and, and, of course, where, where, where I met you, right, where in, where, uh, in 1994 you and I worked together for that team. Right. And then, Ted, uh, being out in Hollywood, you've worked on a lot of different projects, and, and this is – tying into how all three of us are together here. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but what is your history? How did you get into this uh, industry as well? Um, I was a journalism major at the Walter Cronkite uh, School of uh, Journalism at ASU. And uh, I'm from originally from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, there we go. I'm a sun devil too. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So um, I love the school. It was more academically challenging than I had hoped for because uh, I read all the dorms had pools. So, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't for a big surprise when my uh, 
microeconomics professor was from Harvard and my history professor was semi-retired from Yale and I had to write a 25-page thesis, but um, not to make a short story long, but basically um, they didn't have a film program when I was there and I was shocked being so close to Hollywood, big university, sunshine all the time, how come there's no film program? So I actually um, started a film club, got some uh, cameras uh, donated and uh, started making little films and stuff. And another thing I did because um, I didn't know if I was going to go the journalism route or if I was going to go the, the um, you know, entertainment route because I had a lot of interest in it, but I didn't know anything about it. So I called the local film office in Phoenix and I found out that 10 films were being made at the time. And I started calling the list of production managers on every one of those films. And I think I was on the ninth one getting rejected. I just wanted to, a, a job to sweep the floors or do anything. I'll work for free, be an intern. That's, I was begging for any kind of access to get on a set to see what it was like to ask questions. Everybody shot me down. Uh, the, the second to the last film was called Highway to Hell, which was written by Brian Helgeland, who's a very accomplished filmmaker these days. This was his first film, and it was... Uh, produced by Hemdale, which made Platoon. And uh, when this film that I worked on, I ended up working on it for like four months. Uh, when it finally got finished, uh, they went out of business, Hemdale. So it took like five or six years after it was done for me to finally see the movie. Um, but uh, I ended up getting a job. I showed up with a suit on and I was a laughing stock of uh, people because <laughs> you, don't, you don't go to film uh, interviews in a, in a suit, but uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I didn't know that, uh, but it was kind of endearing to the production manager. He saw that I was, uh, you know, uh, full of energy and, uh, wide eyed and, you know, wonder about the business. And it's funny, the next couple of days, everybody was, uh, uh, telling me, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get into this business. It's long hours. It's very difficult. You know, you know, be the journalist, you know, do that. It's much, you know, much, much safer uh, pathway to success than than this business. But uh, what really sold it, um, other than the, the craziness going on the set, which I thought was exciting, there was a lot of special effects and practical effects, was the script. I read the script and I'm like, wow, I can do that. This is like written at a high school level. It isn't like written like, you know, like, like, a, like a novel, like, you know. Um, so... So I proceeded to, uh, after I read the script, I wrote one. I'd never had a screenwriting book or a screenwriting class. And I almost got an agent and I almost got staffed on The Simpsons. Like boom, 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 because I was young and I wrote a script and everything like that. So I immediately, you know, I worked, I worked on that movie and um, uh, I read the script and uh, I'm just like, you know, I, I want to, I want to, you know, I wouldn't look at USC and it, I had a panic attack when I was out there. It was just too... I, California was nothing that I imagined that it would be. I had it painted in my head, like, you know, the, the streets are paved with gold or whatever. And, you know, it was just, it was not very appealing to me when I came out to visit it. So I ended up going back to Boston and I, and I, I changed my major to film and I did the entire film program in three semesters at Emerson College. I was taking like 25 credits a semester and, uh, you know, uh, graduated with honors, won the screenwriting uh, competition two years in a row. Uh, and then little did I know that uh, having a film degree at a university doesn't prepare you for the film business. Nobody cares about your resume. They're like, what have you done? I'm like, well, you know, I won this award. And, you know, yeah, but what have you done? <laughs> so uh, I was left with no choice but then to make a movie. 
So I ended up producing a movie. Uh, it was called Unconditional Love. I shot it. I moved to California, actually, to, to, to make it in the film business. Couldn't get a job anywhere. Couldn't get an entry-level job. I ended up going back to my hometown, and I shot a movie there. And then the first film festival we got into was Steven Spielberg's film festival. The Hamptons Film Festival is the second year of the festival, and we won the, the, the top prize at the festival. And then I got a $300,000 production. It was like a production grant for another movie, production services and stuff like that. And I used that on my next movie. But that's how I caught the bug, man. And that was it. And one thing thing I got to tell you about the entertainment business, if you don't have it where you you can't survive without without doing it, without being in it, then, then it's not for you. Like I, you know, I see actors all the time. Like, oh, you know, I kind of want to be an actor. I'm like, forget it. You know, you got to like, you got to live and breathe, it, breathe it to to want to do it because there's a lot of rejection, and uh, <clears throat> the rejection just inspires me to work harder. It never, never makes me. You know, so of course I get disappointed like anybody else, but it just inspires me. Like their loss, and, and it builds the fire, and it inspires me to work harder and find find a deal, and that's. And I always end up finding the deal. You know, part of this podcast is a little bit about the entertainment industry. And because you're in Hollywood, you do have a connection to sports. We'll talk about that real quick with your women of wrestling. Explain Correct. a little bit about what that is and, and where you're going with that. Um, it's uh, it's owned by Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously female wrestling and, you know, female women are in the forefront these days. They, they want to make more products you know, for women, um, run by women. Um, and, um, I am, I started out small working on it and, uh, my role is getting bigger and bigger as I'm, you know, sort of proving myself. And, uh, I started out, uh, uh, working on the social media for it. Um, social media is exploding. Uh, they're, they're getting like, thousands and thousands of likes on all the social media. I'm kind of overseeing um, uh, the editing process for the clips. Um, I have an office at CBS, which is awesome because that helps in this business having, having something like that. But it's uh, basically, um, it's been around forever. David McLean, the creator of the show, was the one back in the 80s who created it. And then there was a TV series, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And uh, since I believe the last 10 years, it's been on access television. And now the show has been picked up by Paramount CBS for five years, 52 episodes a year. So um, my office is right next to the uh, executive producer, uh, Nick Stoller, who's my business partner. Uh, so uh, it helps having a, you know, a business partner in, on the show. And he knows what I'm capable of. And he doesn't have to babysit me. And he gives me certain assignments. And he knows it's going to get done. And I'm not going to bug him with a million uh, stupid questions which a lot of people do. And you know, I know to avoid him and I calculate my questions because I don't want to, you know, I know that he's got a lot on his head because right. he's also the editor of Shark Tank. So he's the editor of that and he's running, running this. But um, so it's basically Jeannie Buss, David McLean and, and Nick is, is uh, executive producer on it, uh, Nick Stoller. And, uh, you know, I'm helping him with the after show, which is going to be exciting. Um, it's, uh, you know, these, these women are being portrayed, these wrestlers are being portrayed as superheroes, and each one of them has a identity, and so uh, each one of them has their own world. And in the after show, kind of like, you know, there was walking, 
Walking Tall, or Walking Dead, and then the uh, Talking Dead was the after show. That was very successful. It's kind of an after show after the wrestling matches. They're going to have an after show. Uh, and uh, they're going to create the worlds with, with uh, LED screens. It's, it's exciting technology. I just went there today. I took a bunch of video of it. Uh, um, they, can, they, can, um, they could put you, like, there could be an actor on the stage in front of these LED screens. There's a world below their feet and around them, and they could actually make them in two different worlds at the same time. They could have a close-up and a long shot of two different places. One in an office building. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-blowing technology that's here. And that's how the Mandalorian is shot. It's the same technology that Mandalorian uses. And uh, everybody working on this, uh, this after show is saying, uh, as soon as we shoot this, we're going to win an Emmy. We're all getting Emmys. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. So, The book that Dave wrote... It's called Miracle on Grass. It's about the right. 2000 U.S. Olympic team. But it goes into more of the behind the scenes. And that's kind of the purpose of Sports in the Making is to find out what happens and how, how the sausage is made. So, so, Dave, talk a little bit about how you got started with that, the USA baseball team, and the progression in that. I know we're going to read a lot of it in the book, which was actually published in 2012. But we're going to go from there and talk about what, what's happening with it since sure sure so you know what what progressed after you and i met don you know into uh, my career in baseball i ended up getting my first uh, real great opportunity in, in pr and in sports as the director of communications for usa baseball in 1999 and um that was right at the dawn of the era when pro athletes were, were being pro baseball players were being introduced to the Olympic uh, spectrum, the Olympic games. And it, up prior to that time, it had been amateur athletes in the baseball event, meaning college players were representing the United States. So we, in 99, we began selecting pro minor league athletes. And I was uh, lucky enough to be the director of communications and was brought on for that job by the by the USA baseball organization so we began that process in 99 and we selected a pro team and um and and so this is where I was in my career and this is this so that's what happened at that point uh, we we get into the Olympic Games in 99 by qualifying in Canada in the Pan Am Games finishing second and I become the press officer for Team USA for 2000's Olympic baseball team. That was just my job, my role. Real fortunate situation, right? I mean, that's just a kind of a great opportunity in life. And sure enough, we, we you know, we end up uh, getting to the, the point of, of selecting the team and they named Tommy Lasorda as our manager. You know, a Hall of Fame manager to come in and, and kind of give publicity and and um, a face to the name, a face to this program and this team that's going to go over and try to win a gold medal in Sydney, Australia. And sure enough, we did. Tommy led the whole charge and, and it was just a thrill of a lifetime. I, uh, a couple of months working with him as his press agent, um, work, chauffeuring him around in, in Sydney during the Olympic Games was my job, going to all the media events and him, him doing all the interviews and the press conferences along with the players. And on top of all that, Don, we end up winning the thing, right? So, uh, you know, because it wasn't really, it wasn't necessarily, as Ted was saying, we were, we were actually the underdogs. I mean, I uh, you know, I wrote the book about it 12 years later, but we were not necessarily favored to win. 
But of course, you know, Americans are, you know, invented the game and Tommy was always going to, going to say, Hey, we're the favorites to do this and, and, and beat anybody, including Japan or Korea or Cuba, or whoever we're going to face. But the reality was they, they had better players than we did. And we had minor league players, not, not major league guys. They, the, the Cubans were, were a daunting uh, team. They, they rarely ever lost. They had just beaten us in the Pan Am games in a gold medal game the year before. And uh, they rarely lost a baseball game at all. They had stars like Omar Linares and Arrestus Kindalen and, and a pitching staff that was seasoned pitching staff. Japan was going to shut down their entire pro league and bring their best players, including Daisuke Matsuzaka and others. So, you know, we went over there just hoping to win a, a medal, and we ended up winning the whole thing with a, a dramatic uh, semifinal walk-off home run in the 10th uh, inning to get to the gold medal game, and then a, uh, a 4 nothing shutout by a young phenom named Ben Sheets out of Louisiana who threw a four-hit shutout at the Cubans in a gold medal game on the biggest stage of his life that night. So... That's how it all went down, and, uh, you know, it just ended up being the, the greatest, uh, you know, career thing of, of my life to that point. Fast forward into my life, you know, 12, 10 or 12 years later, and we had a 10-year reunion, done of that team, and, and all of us were sitting around the bar talking about it after the reunion, and, and then we had this party, and a lot of the guys were saying to me, hey, you know what, Fanucci, you, you should make a, you should write the book about how we did this. You know, people need to know how we made this, this, uh, how we got this thing done, right? That was the, that was the, the feeling, Don, is the, the players were behind the idea. Um, and they were saying, hey, if you want to do this, Dave, we'll, we'll support you. You can come to, we'll interview, we'll interview, we'll tell you everything. And, and I, you know, I, it took a little while for me to figure that out how I was going to do it. I didn't have a publisher. I just, I just decided to go ahead and tackle the, the project. And I went ahead and, and started working on it at night and uh, put it together. You know, it was, it was a massive ordeal, of course. You know, it's a long process and uh, took, took me probably about a year and a half. Uh, I finally self-published it, titled it Miracle on Grass and self-published it on Amazon. So, you know, that was, that was a, a thrill that I was able to do that and get it published. And I felt like I, I captured what you, you know, what you, what kind of what your show is about, Don, is, is, you know, how did it happen, right? Everybody knew that the United States won that gold medal and, and, and or you could just easily look it up and it just says, you know, the United States wins the gold medal, but how did we win it? You know, we qualified to get in there. We how do we choose these players? Who are the people involved? Who chose the players? How did those decisions get made? That's what the book is about. And so for, for numerous years after that, I was sort of thinking, you know what? The book was great, but I'd love to get this pitch to a, a movie producer that believes in the story like I do, right? You see, you've seen Miracle on Ice on TV done by Disney on the, in the movies. You've seen a lot of underdog stories in sports. Um, why can't, you know, the United States baseball team be a, be a great movie for, for the American public to watch? They didn't get to see those games a lot, Don. It happened in the middle of the night. It was uh, here in America because we were over in Australia. So the vision of the, of the games being played was not the same as the Miracle on Ice that everybody watched in, in Lake Placid. 
here in, in, in the United States. So that NBC video was a, a tape delay. It wasn't live. Very few people saw the game or they maybe saw the highlights. So my thought was, hey, you know, we, we got to make this movie. And so I started pursuing that situation. I didn't know how to do that. I had no idea. I have no way, uh, you know, I'm just a, a, a guy here and I was teaching high school journalism in Houston, Texas, and I have a book. And I have no idea how to find somebody that's going to help me make a movie, right, Don? That's pretty tough. And to get anybody to believe in your project or to, to buy into it is, a, is, a, is an accomplishment in and of itself, right? So um, I did end up, I ended up going to the Houston uh, Film Festival. And I, uh, I ended up meeting a guy there that uh, I had some books and I was passing them out to, to a couple of guys that were producers that I, that I saw. And one of them, you know, it caught his attention and he and I were talking, he was out of San Diego. And he actually called me like a couple weeks later and asked me to, to tell him more about the story. And he kept the book and he read it. And so I said, hey, you know, if you're interested in talking about how to do this, uh, you know, and you're for real, I'll, I'll let's go out, you know, let's go to the Dodger Stadium and and um, and I'll, I'll introduce you to Tommy Lasorda and you can sit down right then and there and, and, and see how real this is. And that's where Ted came in and said, hey, you know, he had heard about that I was going to be out there through a friend of his. Um, and, and I had known this gentleman as well uh, in another, in another way, he was just a, just a person I had come across. And, uh, so, so, you know, he contacted me a couple weeks, actually, it was maybe like not even a week or two prior to when I was coming out there, Ted. And he said, Hey, I've got another guy that's, that I think would be great for you to meet. And I said, okay, um, if you believe in this guy too, and he thinks he's gonna, and he, he could be interested in, in our story as well, invite him to the game. And I'll have both these guys come into Tommy's office and, and sit down with us. And we'll see, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I had no expectations. I met Ted that morning. I think we met that morning, though, Ted, didn't we, when we had breakfast? Yeah. We had yeah. breakfast. So my, my colleague actually introduced me to Ted. We had breakfast. Ted, just, Ted and I just wanted to sit down. And I wanted to meet him in person because I had never met him. I had met the other guy prior to this, right? So... He was driving up from San Diego that night. I was in L.A. for the game that night. We met for breakfast. Everybody came over to Tommy's, uh, uh, to the game. And we just sat and chatted in Lasorda's office. I, I introduced him to Ted and, and, and Jeff, the other producer. And Tommy was pretty, he was pretty up there at that point. This is only a couple years ago. This was, what, in 2018, right, Ted? Or 2019. 2019, Don, and this was maybe the year prior to his passing. Um, he was, you know, his memory was wasn't the greatest, but he remembered who I was. Of course, he knew he knew who I was, and and he was recalling some stories in the office. And Ted, <laughs> I'm sure can can tell you about that. But we had a good time. He 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 had us uh, sit in his boot in his box right next to the Dodgers uh, dug dug out with him for the game, and we had a blast that night. And he even got a standing off. ovation from the crowd. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, he got a standing ovation, stood up from the crowd. We were right there with him. A friend of mine who's a local uh, screenwriter uh, just presented an opportunity to me that uh, 
Dave was in town with the book and it was about the 2000 Olympics and I didn't know much about it, which is embarrassing to me now that I know that I'm trying to push this project <laughs> that not too many people know about this amazing accomplishment that took place. Uh, I love underdog stories. I'm always going for the underdog in life and in, in movies, everything. I consider myself an underdog my whole life. Uh, so it's inspirational to me when I see, you know, because I, I came from nothing. I didn't know have any friends in the entertainment business. I didn't have any relatives in the entertainment business. I moved 3,000 miles away from my home out here on a dream, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm making it finally, but it, it's been a struggle, but, you know, uh, um, but anyway, so it was an opportunity to go to a baseball game. Lasorda was going to be present. Um, there was going to be another producer there. So it was going to be like a competitive situation. And I was told to like, don't make yourself known as a producer or whatever, but I can't hold back who I am. You know, at the game that night, Ted just said, Hey Dave, I want, I want to do this. And, and, uh, he, I could tell the difference between him and the other guy, um, and I just believed in Ted's passion more so than the other guy. Um, and, and that's how, that's how this all went down, Don. And from there, uh, Ted set, Ted signed an option agreement for a year and we've extended that option, uh, for, for several more years after that, because, you know, it takes a long time to get this kind of thing done. Ted, you had, had you read the book at this point? No. Okay. So you were going based on everything that Dave said and meeting Tommy Lasorda, there's a legendary Hall of Fame personality. He was, he was not only was he, a, you know, a, a, an accomplished uh, manager of Major League Baseball, but he was also a celebrity. Okay. Right. So, number one, that's important for getting people in the seats. As a producer, I want the biggest audience I can get. You know, number two, I'm a huge fan of baseball. Um, Number three, like I said earlier, it's it's a underdog story. That um, and number four, I didn't know about it. Shame on me. Now, as I've been pitching this story over the last three four years, uh, as I talk to people, a lot of people don't know about it unless they're Dodger fans, Olympic fans, or avid baseball fans. Those people know everything about it, but the general public has no idea. They assume that you know either baseball is not even in the Olympics, or if it is. We win every year, but no, that's not the case. I mean, where do we get all of our Major League Baseball players from? You know, the other countries that we're going up against, right? I got caught up in the night. It was it was like a bucket list night for me, being a fan of baseball, just being there in the presence of Lasorda. And, and the way Dave carried himself was a big thing for me. The way he talked to Lasorda, the way he commanded the room. Uh, I'm like, you know, I was thinking to myself, I want to be in business with this guy because I'm going to need him. I'm going to be calling on him throughout this process. And if he can't talk in the, to a crowd or handle himself well, then it's going to, it's not going to be an easy because I can't just be me, you know, right. it's got to be a team effort. You know, you need other people and he's the creative force behind the book. And I'm, you know, I got to find what nuance from this story can I fictionalize or take from what really happened and make it into a movie that is very commercial that people want to see? Right. And that was going to be my next question is, you know, if for people don't, who don't know what an option is on a book, if you could explain that real quick. And then how do you go about taking a book that Dave has written where there's a lot of factual information and the progression from the start of this whole Olympic team 
to the end, how do you extrapolate a, a, a story within that? In order to, you know, take his intellectual property out into the business, uh, Hollywood business, uh, you have to have rights to it. You can't just do it. Um, you know, you can't just get permission because they're not protected, you're not protected, and it's not the right way to do business. So, so I had to lock in the book so I had rights to, to pitch it around town and stuff like that. And then I knew that uh, people aren't going to, you know, people aren't just going to go, okay, let's make a movie because, you know, there's a book. I mean, that can happen if it's, you know, depends on the story. If it's a big enough international story and the book's big enough or whatever, that it could happen that way. But most of the time it doesn't. You need a, you need a well-crafted story, a script uh, uh, to, you know, so people can get an idea of what, what the story is. So, um, so, to, so that's what an option is. So I got the option for, for, I believe nine months with an extension for another nine months. We did that. And, you know, Dave and I work together. Well, he knows I'm, I'm pushing it. I'm working. I'm passionate. I haven't lost my passion for this project. That's in fact, I have another, a bunch of other movies that I put to the side. I turned down a writing assignment because you know, I'm still working on this thing. I'm, I, I got to finish this first. Yes, I'm doing the women of wrestling thing, but as far as my business, gritty film productions and move, this is my top priority. I got to see this through. I can't, you know, uh, focus on other things. So, um, so then the next thing was, I'm like, after I read the book, I'm like, well, who's, there's so many different characters. It's a team effort. It was a team you know, everything was team, team, team for this. It's not one person gets all the credit. It's not a Tommy Lasorda biopic, you know, which Hollywood probably would want to see, but that's not the movie I want to make. That's not the movie Dave wants to make. That's not the movie the rest of the players want to make. They want to, you know, everybody gets a little piece of this. So I'm like, who's my main character, you know? And I'm thinking, well, one of my favorite movies is Almost Famous. Remember how, you know, the kid toured with the band and he was the, you know, the young kid and he kind of like was a journalist and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I kind of see that movie. That's a very successful movie that I love. I'm going to make Dave the main character and we're going to see this experience through his eyes. Because I know Dave very well, aside from the book. I know what makes him tick. I know I can create stuff that isn't in the book that, that he would probably say or do based on his character and stuff like that. So... That was my decision. Well, and it's um, funny you say that because as I was reading the book, I was looking at it through Dave's lens as well. So it's it's yeah. interesting that you're taking that route. Yeah, I think that's the best route. And for me, creatively, I think that's the best route to take it, to make it work as a, as a good movie. I want to make a good movie. I want to make a movie like Rudy. You know, I want to make a good inspirational sports you know, movie. Um, or Coda. I watched Coda and I lo- loved that movie. I mean, that's a great movie. It's a character piece family piece but um you know great films inspire me but you know this this is all the makings of that i've been working on the script off and on for several years now and my biggest struggle with the script is finding um enough obstacles because it happens fast there are obstacles but at, at the actual thing there aren't a lot of obstacles so i have to like i i, I could sit for two days and not write a line of dialogue or anything thinking about what obstacle can I put in here that makes sense because without obstacles, without drama, you don't have a movie. Right. And it kind of happens pretty easy. Boom, 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 you know, win, 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 you know? <laughs> so 
there has to be enough drama in there, and that's 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 the kind of stuff where where I'm struggling with this script right now. But I'm gonna find the answers, and it'll be there. And uh, what I'm actually working on right now is I'm working on a um, which I should have done earlier. I did a, a step outline, but not not like as precise as I'm doing right now. Right now, for a production company that's interested, I'm I'm putting all the pieces together. And then Dave could have a look at that too. And then there's areas of the script that he might, hey, Ted, I don't like that. You know, or I like, oh, that's great, but you know, maybe you should do this or do that. But I don't want to show it to him until it's done. So, because if you get involved beforehand, you get too muddy, too close to the material, then, then it's hard to, to, to look at it with a fresh set of eyes. So that's what I'm working on right now. And right. Then, uh, you know. Well, and, and just getting to know Dave seems to me like the perfect fit. You get to know each other. He, I would imagine he would tell you all the stuff that didn't make the book about his perspective, which I think would be a ton to explore. We've gone over some of that stuff. We've spent a lot of time together. I've told him there, there are lots of stories that I have that really, I didn't really put in the book. There's other key. There's a, there's actually another character in the book. That's really not mentioned a lot that I've introduced Ted to. We had a, at a conference call with him that he got some material for as well. So yeah, it's not, the stuff that's in the book. It was a character that I met after I've known everything that I thought I knew about the story. And he's like the comic relief character that is so important to a story like this because, you know, when you have all these rises and falls of the the drama, it's nice to, to incorporate some comedic, uh, to, to release the tension and give the audience a break. And, uh, you know, Lasorda is a hilarious person. I mean, the way he manages too, he, he does it, with comedy a lot of times like some people might not find it funny if it's directed towards you but if you look at it from a, a an audience member like the way he handles a situation it's absolutely hilarious and is brilliant to right. be able to be funny and get a task done well you know? and you know growing up a baseball fan i was a giants fan like you are dave so it was kind of yeah. hard for me to root for the dodgers but when <laughs> i i did have the uh the 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 pleasure of meeting him in 20, uh, 2010 down in the in the Dominican Republic um there's an uh, an award named in his honor at the Salon de la Fama which is the Latino Baseball Hall of Fame and so I got to meet him and talk to him for about 15 minutes there and and uh, just what a what an interesting man I didn't really converse with him but I just sat and I listened to the stories that he was telling at that time he was still getting up there in age and you know a little bit slower but but what a what a treat it was for me you know being there and and hearing and just being being close to a hall of famer uh, of that caliber it was great and so I'm sure Dave you have plenty of stories like that Oh yeah, man. I mean, it just imagine that Don, and when he, you know, you saw him like sort of command a room or hold hold court, right? You saw him in that in that environment where he would just sit and tell stories and talk, and have the center of attention on him. Imagine doing that for like six straight weeks every night, every night. Yeah, that that was that was sort of the the job. Like I had me and another guy who Ted was talking about, that, another character that worked for USA Baseball, had the responsibility to basically move Tommy around where he needed to be and be with him at all times. Uh, and we would, you know, I would try, drop him off with his meet from when we were done with the media interviews to to our, our other USA Baseball rep that would walk him around, and or we would go to dinner or we'd sit down and eat and talk to people around the uh, USA baseball team or the environment, wherever we were that night. 
and the man was just, you know, he, he, he had story after story. It was just never ended. And he would, he loved it. He would, he would stay up till one o'clock in the morning every night if he could and, and just keep doing all this stuff. And, you know, you, you couldn't get up and leave. Like you can't just like say, Hey, Tommy, it's time to go. You know, we gotta, we gotta get out of here. Uh, he, that wasn't, he was, he was running the, running the thing. So mood, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, that just the, it felt like, uh, just this, um, like this highlight of your life every day for, for, for like six weeks. You know what I mean? Like the, you're never going to get anything more exciting than being at the Olympics with a hall of fame baseball manager and all the attention on him all the time. I mean, I remember coming home on the plane, Don, after we had won the gold medal and that's a long flight back from Australia. And I remember saying to myself, I was 29 years old when we won that gold medal. And I saying to myself, how am I ever going to top this in my career? Like, what am I ever going to do that's going to be more exciting than this? Right. And I just said, I just said to myself, it's not going to be, there's nothing. I mean, that was it. That was, that was, that, that's the pinnacle. And, and back, go ahead. Well, yeah, right. So Ted found out if we make the movie done, then we're going to top it. Right. right. Well, and back in those days, Dave, we didn't have social media. We didn't have anything that you could really capture who he was back then, unless it was just general media. And so I thought that, that what you put in the book was very descriptive of, of like just the nuances of, of how he was able to relate to the team and get him to that level. And, and with the, you know, the, 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 the part where in the casino at the hotel and how he's defending his team and then right. going into and, and building these guys up who are still minor leaguers and aren't quite sure of themselves. And, you know, and I was fortunate enough when I was in the Dominican that I did grab some of that video. So if you'd like to see it real quick, I'll show you real quick. Yeah, um, but it was it was really interesting. On And he's talking to Bernie Williams, the, the Yankees great uh, down there. And he's basically showing him or telling him how important he is. And so so take a look. Uh, well, you can play that instrument, that's for sure. And listen, you've had a great, great career. You've had a great career. You never got your name in the papers for doing anything wrong. We got guys around in our game. It used to be a thrill and an honor and a privilege to play. Let's get, they say, well, so some of it gets cut off because the microphone wasn't that great. It was old technology, wow. but but just seeing seeing him talking to people was just it's very few people have that charisma. I'd say. Yeah, I get what? chills hearing his voice. Yeah, that's oh, man. amazing, man, Don. I mean, I, you know what I you know what the one thing I always think about about that time we were at the dawn of the internet era. The, it was very slow dial up internet. So the games could be seen online, but we didn't have the cell phones yet. We did, but they didn't have the phone capability. I had a remote flip phone that I could use to call people, but no pictures or anything. So the actual photos that the only photos I got of this interaction on this trip were with an actual film camera 
that I carried around in my in my possession. And, and you know, I, I couldn't take pictures like that with a film camera as often as I could if I was walking around today, right, right. with my phone. And I would just have tons and tons of pictures of, uh, of that experience. But just the the photos that I was able to capture on my film camera every now and then, like I would see him coming or do something and I would stop and I would I would just remind myself, hey, I got to get a, a, an actual like one picture and I'd have to hand the camera to somebody else and get a photo of some of stuff that was going on. Right. Yeah. We're talking about things like that with a film camera that I, you know, think about the difference of what, what, would, ha- what would be happening today. Right. Of, of how much how much footage I would have if it was if it was now. But um, I just thank God I actually did that. Right. Because if I hadn't had that that personal film camera, I wouldn't have anything. Like I wouldn't have any photos of the experience, and then right. the book would have been much more difficult to to put together, right? Right. Well, and I was I was lucky in getting that footage because I just happened to be shooting something else, and and yeah. they all showed up, and I I thought I I have to get this. Unfortunately, it's not long enough because Andres Galarraga was there, and so I was trying to get as many people as I could. But but it was it was it was such an experience for me and again that 15 20 minutes that i spent just listening to him was really really amazing so ted um in terms of of the film now because you have a a a an icon a legend a celebrity any kind of descriptive word you can use for him how are you going to be able to cast for somebody like that well um i know the exact exact person and i once i really uh focused on the story and i thought about it a person came out to me and there's absolutely no one better for this role than paul giamani and his his father was the bart giamani yeah commissioner commissioner yeah what a great actor i mean he's he's a hot-headed italian he looks like him. <laughs> He's around the same age now that, you know, Lasorda was when he came out of retirement to coach the team. I mean, it's like it fell in my lap. That's the perfect guy. And I, I'm sure, I'm sure, if, you know, if, when we approach him with the, with the, when the script's solid and everything's done and we get the financing, I don't see why we would turn this down because he loves baseball. Yeah. Does he know yeah. that he's the one? Well, I, I contacted them early on. And they're just like, well, when, when it's ready, bring it back to us. But, you know, um, you know, I tr- had to give it a shot because you never know. They could say, sure. okay, they put them through. I talked to them. Boom, boom, boom. Because I have no fear. And, and Dave will attest to that. We were re- recently at the Home Run Derby, and I'm going up to every A-list actor out there. Yeah. He just walked <laughs> right up to John Hamm and, and other people just uh, getting, re- you know, telling them about the project, Don. So you heard it here first, though, Don, on your show, that uh, if Giamatti ends up playing Lasorda in this movie, you heard it right here first. Okay, perfect. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and so, you know, okay, so so Tommy aside, because, you know, God love him, he he was the best thing for baseball, especially for the, the U.S. Olympic team, especially after reading your book, Dave. I had no idea that all that stuff happened behind the scenes. I understand how media relations works, but from your perspective and how it all came together and the challenges and going against Cuba, who was so good for so many years and still are, um, it's just amazing to see how that progression happened from the front office perspective and how Major League Baseball had 
had limitations. Well, general managers had limitations on letting guys play yeah, and, 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 and all of that stuff. So, so when, when it comes back to the script or screenplay, if you, if you're even quite there yet, Ted, um, do you see it as, as a, as a character driven baseball behind the scenes piece, or is there going to be actual action in that? Oh, there's action in it. So, you know, it's going to be like any other great, um, you know, classic sports underdog sports movie. I mean, there's, you know, baseball is just a small part of it, to be honest with you. It's about the characters and how they, like I, like I said, when we started, like Dave said, when we started out this, this podcast today, it's like, it's, it's how did they get there? What characters, what decisions were made? You know, they, 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 they built a winning team. You know, with without the majors going up against, you know, and they were kind of I wouldn't say they were a laughing stock, but there was a lot of the media wasn't, uh, you know, the American team wasn't the darling of the of the event. You know, it was the steroid era. Um, Sandy Alderson was telling me that, you know, uh, all the meetings he was going to, uh, uh, we were kind of hated over there, you know, because of that part by the by the international baseball community. So. Uh, we were the underdog in many, many reasons. Like a lot of people wanted to beat up on us and, and take that, you know, award away and not give it to the Americans because of that, you know, yeah. like maybe they put a black mark on baseball because of the steroids and all that stuff. So, we so there was a lot that they were up against and, you know, yeah. um, a bunch of, a bunch of people that nobody knew, no household names, you know, went out there and accomplished this, this amazing task. And that's the true, true spirit of an underdog story. I mean, you, you know. It's just, it's 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 a film. I mean, it's we were viewed as the fourth best team going in, Don, as you as you read in the book. I mean, everybody had Cuba, Japan, and Korea as the medal teams. We were probably the the, the you know might get in a medal if we won the bronze game. That's what people were saying. Even you know Peter Gammons and people on ESPN were saying it was it was going to be tough for us to medal. Um, sort of was saying, uh, you know, they didn't think we were going to make it past the first round. Yeah. But you know? internally, Don, that's that's what the book is about. Internally, behind closed doors, and I was in these rooms. I was in the locker room. I was behind the closed doors meetings. <clears throat> Tommy would say to our players, we're going over to win the gold medal. That was from day one. That was from the first meeting in San Diego. Didn't even know these guys. We all gathered in San Diego to get on the plane and, and practice for two days at Jack Murphy Stadium and then get on the flight. And in the locker room at Jack Murphy Stadium, right after the first practice, he was telling you guys, hey, we're, we're going to go over there and win this thing. It wasn't, it wasn't to, hey, we're going to try and medal. It was, we're going to win the gold. That's what we're going to go over there and do. So internally, that was the, th- that was the mentality. It was, it was not... You know, he wasn't buying into any of the what he was hearing or any what anybody else was saying. He didn't even know these players, and that's fully explained in in the in the book pretty well. And and so, how he got those guys to believe that is is what is what you know. I'm tra- the story we're trying to tell in this movie. How did he get these guys to believe that? Like, you know, those guys may or may not. Heck, I'm sure there were some guys that were just thrilled to be in the Olympics, right, on, on the baseball team. I, hey, I got chosen to go represent Team USA in the Olympics. It'd be great if we got a medal. And, and he was saying, no, we're not, we're not going to go over there and get silver or bronze. We're winning the thing. 
you know, when I first set out to do this, I'm like, oh, this is a Disney movie. This is like Disney. But then once I get to know Lasorda more, it's not a Disney movie. <laughs> no. So far from a Disney movie, it's not even funny. But we have to stay true to form. Right. You know, he'll be G-rated, you know, Disney-oriented conversation with a little kid. And then he'll walk away and turn and he'll say something that'll be like, whoa, my God. Yeah. But that was, that was it's like, whoa. Uh, you know, in one of the scenes in the locker room, somebody has a pitch counter on how many times he, you know, he says an F-bomb. Right. <laughs> you, know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, so it's, it, it, I mean, but man, that guy is, I mean, just in that clip you showed, it's like, uh, he just has a way of saying things that are like so profound. And it's like, you know, your name never was in the paper for anything bad you did. Now that's the whole, now like you can analyze that, what he said there. And he's talking about athletes in general. How many athletes are in the paper for doing something unethical? Right. You know, or, or doing something wrong or getting the bad press because of whatever. And that's something that he said to him, which is a testament to like, that he's shooting down the whole, everybody. Like, you know. But 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 it's, a, it's it's an amazing compliment. But he, may, he says it in such simple words that you could dissect that and think about what is he really saying there. You right. know, he's saying like you're a true athlete that you know you're you're you didn't do anything bad. Like that's like you made it that far, and you know it's like the, the guy be, had a gift. It's gonna be a great movie, Don. I can't wait for you to see it when we get it done, and uh, and it's gonna be fantastic. So the movie is called Tommy Ball. I know that you're probably still too early to, unless you have that title set. Is is that what it is? Well, it's set for me. That's what I see because that's what they were. That's what the, the media was because of the fanfare and the celebrity status behind Lasorda, and nobody knew any of the players. They were calling it Tommy Ball, which was kind of a slap to the face to the team, which inspired them to to do their best because you know. Yeah. The sword is telling him, you know, I'm not traveling 5,000 miles not to effing win this thing. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the media is calling us Tommy Ball. They're saying we're not going to make it past the first round. He knows how to instill passion in people. And it works, you know. And I think it's the perfect title. But, you know, it's going to be up to the studio. It's going to be up to many other, the marketers, whatever. You know, you can't hold on to a title like that. But that's the title that I'm using to inspire me to get this thing across the finish line. Yeah, we're, that's least, we're you know, pitching. Finance. That's what we're pitching, Don. And but you know, you know the business how how it works, and we hope that that's what they, they go with. But who knows what, what in the end? But that's what how we see it. Well, and and that's the thing with with Hollywood. I mean, I know enough to know that sometimes the smooth sailing suddenly you're in rough waters, and it might go to the wayside for a bit. It sounds like you're trying to continually push it. But what are some of the challenges that you have experienced so far and how far out do you think this might be before we see anything? Um, the challenges is it's one of the most difficult things in the world to get a movie greenlit because all they care about is reasons to say no. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. They're not looking, their boss is saying, cause you know what, you know who goes down with the ship if they say yes to something and it doesn't work out well. And you know what? The majority of films don't do well. A very small percentage of films do well. Um, so uh, it's just going up against the, you know, the machine. You know, baseball to me is best and I love it. And, you know, it's an American sport, but, you know, it's not soccer. 
you know, soccer is what they love because it's more worldwide appeal. But our story does have world. Our story does have worldwide appeal, Don. We feel like it does. I mean, Lasorda was beloved in Japan. Uh, he's well known all around the world in the in the sport of baseball. We feel like there is some worldwide appeal with our story beyond the United States. It's a you know, in the, Olymp- the Olympics are a, are a worldwide thing, but. You know, like Ted said, it, it is, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot for, about the industry through him and how this process works. And, it, you know, it takes a long time. I think Ted told me at the beginning of the deal that, you know, the average movie takes seven years just to get into production. And we're on like year two or three or the three right now. So, you know, it is a extremely long process and a, and, a, and, it, and it's tough. It's, you know, you learn, you got to take, be able to take, a lot, a lot of no's before you get a yes. And, it's our job. Like Dave is right about this does have international appeal. And we were in a pitch meeting and, and I think we were selling it big, but unfortunately the bean counters at the studios and the decision makers, they are very simple minded, closed minded. They just look at the basics. Baseball. No soccer. Yes. I mean, it's unfortunate what yeah. you can sell them as much as you want, but you know what? There's an ass for every seat is what I've always learned. And you just, and all you need is one buyer. All you need is one person to say yes. One person to agree with our vision. Right. That's all we need. We just need to find that one person. So we got to keep moving towards that goal and, and we'll get there. Well, and if you look at some of the most successful films out there, they were said no to how many times and, and, oh. you know, budgets taken away, studios changed and, and, and you, you, you know, I hope you have something there and I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. And Ted, you know, Ted touched on it, Don, that the world is changing too, right? The film industry is changing every day. I mean, we're talking about a different world nowadays, even prior to the pandemic with the, the theater situation and, and how movies are created and where they're put and how they're distributed. So, you know, he's navigating that world out there. He lives in it every day. Uh, you know, I follow his lead and, uh, you know, I needed one guy to believe in my book to want to turn it into a movie and Ted needs one guy to want to take his screenplay and make it into a movie. And that's what we're trying to do. That's, that's, that's the goal. We need one, one person, one, yes, one company, one person to believe in this. And we're going to go with that. And so then Ted, who would be the one person to play Dave in the movie? (laughs) Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah, without a doubt. (laughs) You know who Michael Sarah is? I don't recall the name. No. Oh, pull him up on your thing, yeah, man. Let everybody here. see. Pull it up. Pull I'll a picture. Sarah. That's who's playing me, dog. Make it happen, and then put it. Let's do a split screen. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. <laughs> Canadian actor. Yes, and you know what, Dave? You don't. I saw that younger picture of you, but you you you're aging gracefully. You don't you don't yeah. you, you don't age like I'm aging. Everything's turning gray and stuff. Yeah, thankfully, I'm I'm excited to hear that. A lot of people tell me that, but I still, uh, I'm already, I'm already up there, older than you, Ted. So, but yeah, Don, it's uh, um, you know, we're all hey, let's let's just hope we get to actually answer those questions for real, right? Like everybody asks me all the time, like my friends, my family, who's going to play Lasorda, who's going to play. Look, if I can actually answer that for real because it's greenlit, I'd love to answer that. Like, right. that'd be great. Right now, we actually have a company that's interested in this that can make it happen, and they want to know who these who we right. envision. And if we say the right people, 
which I, I know we will. I think once that they'll be able to, it'll paint a picture well, in my mind what this movie will be. I think that'll get us a deal. Can we, uh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Yeah. I, know, yeah, I, I, I can see it. We ran. We were at the All Star Game in LA, and Ted ran into his um, uh, uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Oh, he's my doppelganger. J.K. Simmons was at Simmons. the game, and he's Ted's doppelganger. And we ran into him on the field, and Ted was pitching him right there on the field about the movie. He's a huge baseball fan. And he told me he's like, contact my people. I'm interested. I'm gonna contact his people. We're gonna. We're gonna pitch Jay. He always remember that. Remember that. Remember that producer that approached you at the All Star game when you were talking to Judge. <laughs> right after you're done talking to Judge. Done. Um, he walked. Up, Ted walked up to John Ham as John Ham was doing this home run derby thing down in the field with all the players interviewing them and stuff, and just walked right up to him and said, "Hey, we're doing this project, dude. We'd love to have you involved." Handed him his card. John well, Hamm could play, could play uh, Sandy Alderson, right, Don? Yeah, probably. Look, here we go. <laughs> Look at Ted and P.K. Simmons. Yeah, wow. People would tell me all the time, he's like, you look like that guy does his insurance commercials. And I was thinking John Hamm. I'm like, yeah, kind of look like John Hamm. I'm like, no, that other guy with the gray and the looks like, you know. I'm like, I don't see it. But when I met him, I'm like, People tell me all the time that we look like each other. And he goes, yeah, we do. And I'm like, neither one of us is flattered. He was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, I, I appreciate you sharing your story with me, uh, both your behind the scenes, Dave, your experience with the USA Baseball gold medal winning team, Tommy Lasorda, Ted, thanks for sharing how everything is going to be uh, put together. I, I'm really excited about it. Can't forget to mention uh, Miracle on Grass by Dave Finucci. It's on Amazon, Dave. Yes, sir. Yeah. Still for sale on Amazon. And the movie is called Tommy Ball. I'd love to have you get back if you get it out there and, and do everything. But Dave, I wanted to, to leave you with uh, some memories here. Yeah, there it is. The Phoenix Firebirds. Beautiful. So... Triple A team of the this is before Ted, this is before the Diamondbacks even existed. Right. So they had, Phoenix had a triple A team in, in, in Scottsdale, and Don and I worked for that club. That was a thrill for us, right, Don? Working for the triple A team of the Giants, both being oh, Giants yeah. fans. Growing up a Giants fan, that was I never yeah, expected was, that. Yeah. And it was it great. Was something else. I know you media relations, so you got to meet a lot of the players and I was in marketing in a specific part of marketing, so I was always in the clubhouse and yeah. I got to, to meet the Giants when they came to town and, and yeah, it's just just a great great career I think we've all first in general yeah, what a, had. What a start for us, right? I mean, just to have that in uh, as the beginning of our, our sports careers, the first step and to launch us into what we've ever you know, we've done ever since. It was just a phenomenal time that was actually the you know the one first year i i worked on was the year of the strike you remember that 94 yep, there maybe a year or two before me but in 94 when you and i worked together that was the strike season of major league baseball and we actually the triple a guys still played remember like the big leaguers were shut down and we were still doing triple a games in scottsdale yeah, I had left the club at that point because I uh -huh. went to do an internship at ESPN. 
Okay. So when the strike happened, I was actually working with the promos producer. Remember the bobblehead uh, commercials that ESPN did? Yeah. Yeah. So I was working with the producer there. So we would go to New York City and edit those. And he had me voice one that never made air. And it was the New York Yankees. And you remember that play, The Damn Yankees? Yeah. So the the skit was this bobblehead was walking down the street. He looks up at the Damn Yankee sign and goes, huh? Huh. And that was my role. <laughs> so, but wow, uh, but man. that but it never aired because the strike happened, and so I missed I missed the rest of that Firebird season. But it was, uh, you know, the, such great memories and still such great friends. So yeah. I'm glad to reconnect with you, David and Ted. Nice to meet you, and I and I hope you guys are very successful in in this film. Well, we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks um, a lot having us on um i enjoyed i started watching your documentary i want to watch the rest of it i uh i uh am an accomplished documentary producer myself and uh it's a lot of fun it's a lot of hard work so um <laughs> yeah but, congrats uh, so on that too don i mean you've done you've done a lot of great stuff as well in your career so uh you know keep up the great work and and this kind of thing that you do uh, promoting you know guys like us and what we're doing really appreciate it thanks for having us on you betcha. Thank you, guys. That was Dave Finucci, author of the book Miracle on Grass, and Ted Collins, founder of Gritty Film Productions. The book recounts the process and the behind-the-scenes efforts that went into Team USA Baseball earning a spot in the 2000 Olympics, and it was the first time professional players participated in Olympic baseball. Hall of Fame manager Tommy Lasorda guided a group of underdog players to an Olympic gold medal. You can find the book on Amazon. It's a great book, and it's got some excellent reviews, so check it out. The movie Tommy Ball, as of this episode, is still in development, so hopefully we'll see it in theaters soon. For more Sports in the Making podcast episodes, visit our YouTube page, Sports in the Making Podcast, or take a listen on your favorite audio podcast platform. Also, be sure to check out Twitter, at SportsMaking, as well as the Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making. I'm Don Cardona.